Marini's Media. Totally football show today, our European roundup. Syria, Lazio are top and everyone else has to stop. Germany, where they are playing, as long as you don't insult very rich people. And Bayern have another brilliant teenager. There's the latest on Ligue 1 and El Clasico, Hala Marengi, as Barca get waltzed past by Zidane's team. All in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Thanks for being with us today. All right, an exciting Euro Roundup awaits us. Got all your favourite continental voices. Hulls, James Horncastle. That's me. All right, then. Bradford Hollingstein's here. Hello. Julian Laurent. Bonjour. And yes, Alvaro Romeo. Hola. Oh, all right. Everyone have a great weekend. You Yay. didn't change yes. There's no football to watch. No. I was supposed to go to the Debbie d'Italia. Yeah. I wanted to be one of the few journalists let into a closed doors game. Right. But it didn't but the game never took place. It didn't take place. We'll touch on that because that's been the big story. Mm. Uh, one of many big stories, but the biggest of them. Jules, what's your headline news from France? We had the 120th uh, Derby du Rhône between Lyon and Saint-Étienne. On Saturday night, we had fights in uh, the Lyon city centre between oh, the, the two the sort of ultras. were amazing in that game. They were? The choreographers. Yeah. yeah. What and did then, they do? Well, they had one which was like a Kill Bill yeah. Uma Thurman pulling out a... A sword. A sword. Yeah. And then there was another which was a cityscape, was it? Was yes. it like the big cathedral? The cathedral, yeah. They were really good. It was lovely, yeah. And Lyon won 2 0 as well against uh, Claude Puel, who's really, really struggling now. Right. You seem upset about that. No, I'm not. <laughs> okay. I'm not at all. It's a good week for Lyon, you know. Yeah. yeah beating no, I... Juventus, that small team from the north of Italy, and I'll then yeah. Saint Etienne, that small team from the southeast of France. Okay. Bagging that one up for two weeks' time. Uh, Raphael, what's the news from Germany? Well, the news was unbelievable scenes in Zinsheim when uh, Bayern and Hoffenheim came out after two interruptions and uh, basically kicked the ball around to each other in, uh, in I guess, a kind of protest against the protest, maybe it's fair to say. Mm. Uh, the game twice suspended because of uh, insulting banners to the Hoffenheim benefactor Dietmar Hopp and Bayern winning 6-0 in the process. Without Robert Lewandowski. Remarkable stuff. Bags to unpack from that story. We'll be doing that very, very shortly. Alvaro, meanwhile, in Spain. Has to be El Clásico. After a disappointing week for Real Madrid and Barcelona in Champions League, especially for Real Madrid, the question was, uh, for which team is going to be the worst end of the week? And it was clearly for Barcelona. They lost against Real Madrid. They lost the leadership in La Liga, and uh, it was a really good performance for Real Madrid in uh, what it probably was one of those El Clásico that tells you that the quality in Spanish football, or at least in the big two in Spanish football, uh-huh. has, has gone down a little bit in comparison to 2014, 2015 and all those years. A race of the lame, as Jorge Valdano dubbed it. Yeah, too much to say. It sounds worse in English than in Spanish, I believe. What, how does it sound in Spanish? Mm, una carrera de cojos. Doesn't sound great. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he didn't say it was a sh** and a stick. Well, that's that. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's begin with the kind of the horse uh, after this. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Se ofrece Benzema, se mueve al espacio Vinicius, qué buen pase de cross. Vinicius, Vinicius que puede golpear, tira Vinicius, gol, 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 gol del Madrid. Gol, Vinicius. Real Madrid two, Barcelona nil. Real Madrid bouncing back. 
after their defeat at the hands of Man City. Barcelona dominated the first half. What happened? What happened in the second half is that uh, you need very little to upset Barcelona or to make them uncomfortable. I mean, it's just enough with a bit of good pressure up front to make Barcelona vulnerable. And uh, I believe that uh, what Real Madrid did, just a corner in Barcelona in their own box from the 55th and the, until the 65th minute when they managed to score the first goal, is a little bit what uh, many clubs have been doing to Barcelona over the last months. And I think that the likes of uh, Semedo, Arturo Vidal are not players who can actually hold the ball and um, keep it a little bit when the team, the, the opponent is just... Uh, uh, having the possession going at you, they are players who can play differently, they are not capable of uh, keeping the possession and I don't want to blame exactly them because I think that players like Frankie de Jong, for example, were totally irrelevant and this is a 75 million euros player. Antoine Griezmann wasn't great, uh, Lionel Messi played a very disappointing game as well and uh, Real Madrid just needed a bit of energy to beat Barcelona, not much more than that mm. and uh, it was... Uh, Impressive to see how Real Madrid played for Vinicius most of, of the game, just uh, looking for him uh, to make the difference. And Vinicius, as much as he is not a finished product yet, he's a player who can agitate, a player who can actually take on players, dribble past, and that was enough to unsettle Barcelona. Kike Setien didn't use the Vinicius, if you like, that he has on the bench, which is Ansu Fati. Kike Setien went for a very orthodox 4-4-2 with no speed up front. Zinedine Zidane went for Vinicius on the left and he made the difference. Uh, I think that Barcelona could have scored in the first half a goal, but then in the second half it was a one-way traffic for Real Madrid. Mm -hmm. And then the last goal came from, by a player who barely plays, Mariano. He played because Jovic wasn't in the game day squad, which is a message from Zidane to the Serbian player. He wants much more from him. And uh, this 2-0 is tremendously hurtful for Barcelona because uh, now they have to try to cut the deficit back with Real Madrid, knowing that uh, they have lost the head-to-head, -head, uh, which is uh, what uh, makes the difference in terms of level points at the end of the season. And also because they have to cut this deficit only with 13 or 14 players from the first squad because uh, Luis Suárez, Dembélé, uh, Sergi Roberto, they are still out. And uh, I don't see the light Imagine at the end of the they tunnel. they picked up Braithwaite as well, they, they'd be in real trouble. Uh, well, <laughs> he didn't play bad, that guy. Yeah. And uh, only one thing about Real Madrid as well, I think that uh, Zinedine Zidane realized that against Manchester City, he made the mistake of uh, dropping to the bench one of the best players he's got. Definitely the midfielder who has the compass of the team, Tony Cruz. As much as Fede Valverde has been an important player for Real Madrid this season, Casemiro and Tony Cruz are the best midfielders in Real Madrid. And it doesn't matter how much energy they've got. When they have the ball, they know what to do. And in fact, Real Madrid's first goal is an assist from Tony Cruz, who, by the way, raised his arm when he got the ball, kind of hypnotized in a bad way, Martin Braithwaite, Semedo. And uh, yeah, yeah, you have to see that. It's like a Jedi no, no, mind trick. I saw trick. it, but it's not. It, 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 I'm not it, the it, midfielder you're looking for. It almost like it's, <laughs> it was more to say to Vinicius, you make that run. And uh, that it, it, it was terrible from Barcelona defenders and Braithwaite and Semedo because when Tony Cruz raised his hands and tells Vinicius, you have to find the space over there. Barcelona players didn't attack Tony Cruz, didn't cover that gap. Right. And Vinicius found a highway behind the back of Semedo, and then the goal came. So that was the 1-0, and uh, that tells you a little bit what Barcelona is about now. It's uh, a club that, when 
it gets dismantled completely during the game, mm. they don't have an answer. They don't know how to come back. And this is a very pedestrian Real Madrid. It's not a great Real Madrid. Right. Okay. I mean, it's still only one point between them, though. I mean, three quick things for me. The first one, I never, I never thought that I would see a Clásico one day with Mariano Jazz and Martin Brethwaite as the two strikers of Barcelona and Real Madrid. It tells you, I think, how far those two teams are gone now and, and how not very good they are anymore. Second one is that Sergio Busquets is gone in, in games of that quality what? and of that intensity. He was and the you best saw, player of Barcelona. He wasn't in the second half. He couldn't get the ball out. I, I he could not be depressed. I, I Him, the young and Archer, could not get the ball out. And, it, and I saw it last season as well in certain games. As soon as there's a lot of intensity on him, I think he, he has lost the extra second that he had before when he could see the game before everyone else. And my final point is that just imagine if a team had gone to the Bernabeu three days before Barcelona did and played Real Madrid out of the park. And then Kike Setien had time with the manager of that team in his hotel room explaining all the tactics and what you have to do to be this Real Madrid team, average Real Madrid team. And then you don't take any notice of what Pep Guardiola told you and you go and do the complete opposite pretty much of of what Guardiola and his team have done. And I just think Kitty Setien got all his tactics wrong, his team selection wrong, and like Alvaro well explained as well, even the substitution wrong because I I still think that Fati came on too late in the game. Also, Alvaro, I mean, after the game, Gerard Pique said that it was the worst Madrid team he's ever played against yeah. and they lost to that Madrid side. Is that a criticism of the board, the president? Oh, well, and Possibly, yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. And it was a critic to Barcelona in general. Yeah. So I believe that uh, what Gerard Piquet said was true as well. I mean, this Real Madrid is not formidable in any sort of way. I mean, since they lost Cristiano Ronaldo, they, they've been off the pace with Barcelona in La Liga until this point. And in Champions League, they haven't been a referential team anymore. Also, Barcelona thought that Kike Setien was going to be a little bit more dogmatic and a little bit more of an idealist, if you like, with Kike Setien. He was going to play not only possession football, but also attacking football. And... He didn't do that in Napoli, playing Arturo Vidal as a right winger or at least in the right hand side, not a right winger, when he's clearly not a player to play there. Frankie de Jong on the left, so basically he sacrificed the speed on the wings and he did the same thing against Real Madrid. So Real Madrid just benefited from that. Barcelona was tremendously flat up front and they didn't have any depth on the wings. And Lionel Messi, I want to make a bracket here and talk about him a little bit, he wasn't playing well at all. I mean, he doesn't have the fifth gear that he had in the past. We all know that. And there are reports that maybe he's been sustaining a niggling injury for the whole season, but he's still playing because Barcelona doesn't have any options to replace him now. And it's funny how, when Barcelona played with four midfielders, which uh, should free Messi to play up front the way he wants, Lionel Messi had to go 40 meters back, more than ever, to help build the game. I mean, it's unbelievable that you play with the young Vidal, Busquets and Artur Melo and Lionel Messi has to go there and help because then he's not fresh to score or to to succeed in the one-on-ones with the goalkeeper because he doesn't have the legs. You saw that in Scandinavia when he has that ball through and Marcelo, of all people, I mean, the guy is like 90 kilos, comes back and gets the ball off Messi as Messi is about to shoot and the score is still 1-0 down at the time. But before we write Messi off and basically say he's declining, which, I mean, you look at his... Age, it's he scored, it's inevitable. He scored four goals, right? And also, I think players like this struggle for the reason that you just outlined. If he is carrying an injury, and B, whenever there's no st- structure or recognisable structure in a team, and it's clear that Barcelona have changed managers, the supporting cast around him 
isn't what it used to be. You've said that he's having to do more work coming short to basically get on the ball and get things going. Yeah, I think this, yeah, still within a functioning setup with better players around him, we will still see Messi play at higher levels than any other player on the planet. We've seen it, for example, with Cristiano Ronaldo earlier this season when Ronaldo was taken off in the Milan game and went straight down the tunnel, showered and was gone before the team had uh, had finished the game and won in his absence. And that was his performances over the, the previous few weeks had been poor, disappointing, and it's because he was carrying injury. And what's he just done? He scored 16 goals in 11 games, scored in 11 straight league games and matched the Serie A record. So... Yeah, and Messi's younger than Ronaldo. So yeah. I think um, I, saw, I saw the same on social media last night, the reaction that, oh, maybe this is it for Messi. No, no. I'd be, the, I'd be careful before. He hasn't scored the, for what? Four Classico in a row now? Five uh, Classicos yeah, in a row? Yeah, since Cristiano Ronaldo left, basically. Um, but I wouldn't write off Messi. Of course I wouldn't. But at the same time, he needs his teammates more than ever. One point between them then. And a thrilling Liga title race continues. We'll hear more about what's happened with the uh, other Spanish sides later on. Just uh, briefly before we move on, on the subject of Real Madrid though, what was the reaction to uh, that uh, defeat at home to Man City last Wednesday? It was uh, strange because normally if any club has an optimistic fan base and uh, media base, it would be Real Madrid. But uh, basically very few believed that Real Madrid would uh, come back and manage to turn the situation around against Manchester City. That was the that was the reaction. Okay, so surprising effect, effectively. Uh, yeah, of course. I, I guess that what has happened in El Clásico will uh, make uh, the players of Real Madrid, who are uh, ultimately the important ones, to be more optimistic about that game. But yeah, the media base and the fan base were, in my opinion, quite uh, defeated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Resigned. which is something that yeah. doesn't happen normally when you are a Real Madrid supporter. Okay, all right. Up next, we are off to Italy. Sounds a dangerous proposition. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keepers let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1-5 to five on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Italy. The big story is not the football this weekend. Again, from City, a whopping six games cancelled. Only four got played. Uh, among those cancellations, the Derby d'Italia, which was supposed to be played as the others were behind closed doors. And as you mentioned, James, you were hoping to go along and be present in an echoey Juventus well, state, to hear all the instructions that yes. the managers give the players and yeah. teammates cussing each other out but which would have been great instead they've all been postponed why was that decision taken what, why did they change their minds about them well the initial recommendation from the government to the league and we're talking last Sunday so more than a week ago was that the entire round of fixtures in Serie A be postponed um, and the clubs then met uh, with the league and some Uh, voiced their opinion that the game should go ahead because there's very little room in the fixture list to replay these games at a later date and that they should be played behind closed doors. That didn't go down well with a number of the big clubs, with the exception of one, Inter, who have since really kicked up a fuss about this. 
because they think it sends the wrong message um, about Italian football, about Italy in terms of how it is handling this crisis, that it's not business as usual. There's a loss of revenue and there's also a loss of a match day experience that fans expected and would like to go along to. But now, as you say, there's also the financial thing. Also, the TV companies, I think, were unhappy about having games with empty stands. Exactly. Sky put out a statement um, on Saturday after the flip-flop mm. decision because I think what was really damning uh, for the league was they came out 12.30 on Saturday and said, we're going to cancel these games when, for example... Udinese were about to play Fiorentina in a few hours time in Udine and they postponed that game even though Fiorentina's players had travelled to Udine um, stayed in overnight at a hotel in Udine and what you have to uh, remember and I'm speaking to a couple of clubs over the last few days those players have been put at unnecessary risk by the league's flip-flopping essentially right. because those players in travelling Veneto is, is next to uh, Friuli Giulia, where Udine play, that region, um, and uh, hasn't been affected um, in the same way that some of the other northern regions have, be it the Veneto, Lombardy, Piedmont and Emilia-Romagna. But still, um, for players to be travelling, um, that is a risk. And the other thing behind closed doors, James, is mm. that the initial government instruction being to postpone all of these games because of the health risk posed, if you have 22 players playing against each other, if you have referee match officials, if you've got coaching staff, directorial staff for the club, um, cleaning staff, security staff, all there, that in itself is a crowd gathering. Yeah, but I mean, I've got a couple of issues here. One is you're not describing a workforce that's in any way larger than most offices. You're going to shut down all offices now on a day-to-day -day basis. And secondly, if you say, well, all right, postpone this weekend's fixtures, the coronavirus uh, outbreak in Italy isn't going to go away in the space no. of a week. So if you postpone this set of fixtures, what are you going to do with next week's fixtures? For me, it seemed like actually quite a sensible thing to play them behind closed doors. Not ideal, but a whole lot better than the current situation because is the season actually going to happen, do you think? There's now a chance that it won't. Well, presumably. one of the reasons why Inter kicked up such a fuss was because they've now had two games postponed and they're involved in three competitions and there is no room right. at the moment for one of those games to be replayed, the first one against Sampdoria, which was postponed last week. And they have to look at the Europa League, which they're involved in, and the Coppa Italia, which they're involved in, and say, well, if we go all the way in those competitions, then we will have fixtures up until the end of May. Um, and so the league finds itself in, its, in a very funny and awkward position, kind of crossing its fingers and hoping that Inter and Juventus will essentially go out of Europe right. in order to in order <laughs> for these in order to get these games played. So they're going to have a meeting this Wednesday the league. Yeah. They had a series of conference calls on Sunday with um, various uh, stakeholders in the league. They're meeting in Rome on Wednesday. Um, why they can't meet earlier than that I think uh, is is a legitimate uh, question. It is uh, a chaotic situation, which, uh, again, I think, you know, to go back to the league's decision to basically change its mind at midday on a match day on Saturday um, speaks to um, them not being in complete control um, of this situation. How do you think will next week's Champions League games be affected, if at all? Well, I think this is going to be the fascinating question at the Exco meeting in Amsterdam today um, and also the extraordinary meeting assembly uh, on Wednesday uh, within Italy and Serie A because you're now having um, 
for example, Leon will come to Turin, play against Juventus. Now, Piemont has lifted the kind of um, corona containment measures that were in place the last week. Right. So Why? Because things have got better? Things, or? things have improved there. Um, so kids have gone back to school. Museums have reopened. Torino, for example, are having an open training session today. So Piedmont is no longer one of the kind of um, affected areas. But we've got internationals coming up in March. Italy play England. Italy play Germany. And you wonder, can UEFA allow those fixtures to go ahead? Um, and can UEFA allow the playoffs to go ahead as well? Because you have players who play for all the teams that are involved in the uh, European Championship playoffs, um, not all of them, but most of them, um, who play in Italy, and some of them play for clubs that are in the affected areas. Um, so it's a huge problem, mm. not just for Italy, for the continent, for organising committees and federations around Europe um, in terms of what measures they take and how long essentially they shut football down for. What percentage chance would you give the Serie A season of not actually finishing? I think they'll find a way, uh-huh. but I think it's contingent on what will happen on Wednesday. For example, do they move the cup semi-finals right. away from this midweek to the end of the season? And there has been talk about, for example, the moving the Coppa Italia final to the start of next season, which kind of, again, leads to questions about the integrity of that competition because all of a sudden the transfer window is open mm-hmm. um, and the state of the competition is different from how it was, right. say, back in February. And also, if we're going to talk about the space in the calendar, for example, now there are a lot of teams that are not involved in Europe who, for whom they can play in midweek. Right. So, for example, um, with Milan... It's not really a problem for them to recover games because, yes, they've got this cup semi-final second leg against Juventus, but then they've got more or less other Wednesdays free. But if Leon finished the job and Inter go out against Ludogorets, etc., yeah. you could actually pack everything in. And also, uh, right. the, the, the one final consideration, and I think it'll be very interesting whether the discussions go this far on Wednesday, is if we get to a position where those international friendlies mm-hmm. and playoffs are not played... Um, then all of a sudden you have Bingo. a week, two weeks, which were allocated to national teams to be to be played for games for Serie A. And also, he messed up. He messed up that title race because at Juve won, yep. they well, would have uh, they would have been nine points. There clear, are, yeah? to be fair, bigger no, no, issues caused by the coronavirus. But yes, it, it's certainly wreaking havoc with the uh, Italian uh, season. Four games did take place. Twenty-one goals in those four games. We'll mm. uh, discuss uh, what happened in them a bit later on. Lazio going top. But up next, onto the Bundesliga, where there's something bitter brewing with hop. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. I said a hip, hop, a hip, a hip, a hip, a hip, hip, hop, you don't stop the rocket to the bang, man, boogie, say up, jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie to beat. Big game in Germany this week, for a variety of reasons, was Hoffenheim by Munich. By Munich, as we mentioned, with no Lewandowski. No problem. Uh, but still 4-0 up at half-time, and then 6-0 up in the second half. And then that extraordinary last 13 minutes when they essentially did passing drills between themselves and had a bit of a chat. Now, this has all come about because of the ongoing protest against Dietmar Hopp, the billionaire backer of Hoffenheim. 
Uh, Michael Nolan asks, why all the Dietmar hop hate at the weekend? Uh, various other people weighing in, suggesting the fans were selfish and hadn't thought their positions through. But uh, Rafa, you, you talked about this on Thursday's show. Just give us a little bit of the backstory and then what happened on Sunday. So the backstory to this is that there have been repeated protests stroke insults against Dietmar Hopp ever since Hoffenheim came to the Bundesliga, some of them even before they got to the Bundesliga. Uh, because this is a village club bankrolled by a benefactor who wanted to initially invest in other clubs, uh, couldn't get anywhere and then decided to circumvent the 50 plus one rules, which um, basically don't allow direct investment and don't allow um, somebody taking over a club effectively. And uh, making Hoffenheim a Bundesliga team, a lot of people resent that. Um, and there's been an ongoing action and reaction over those few years. So every time Borussia Dortmund fans in particular have been insulting Adib Mahop uh, or protesting against uh, him as a symbol almost rather than him as a person, um, Hop has been um, very punitive um, for example, uh, reporting some of these people to police. Um, some of them were even convicted uh, in the first instance um, for criminal insults, having to pay a few thousand euros. Um, some of them were subjected to a high-frequency sound that drowned out the chants at Hoffenheim. Hoffenheim later said it was a rogue employee doing that. The club didn't know. Uh, but the reason this kicked off now is because two weeks ago, the um, German FA or part of the German FA to do with disciplinary uh, proceedings banned all Dortmund fans from going to Hoffenheim games right. for two years. For two years? For two years. I mean, two, basically two trips. Yeah, but yes. okay. Um, this was uh, on appeal. Uh, initially, the ban had been on three years. But before that, uh, there had been a ban on probation which then was turned into the real ban when Dortmund fans re-offended. Now, everything you've seen since right. has been basically other fans, other right. ultras, coming out in support of Dortmund and using the same banners, the same language, right. almost as a citation to basically say we think these things should be said, right. should, we should be able to say it, and we don't agree that fans are collectively punished for saying that. So this is not necessarily so much about now everyone hating Dietmar Hopp, mm. but the ultras of all sorts of clubs, clubs who don't get on with each other at all, coming out against this decision by the FA. So it was Borussia Mönchengladbach, which we mentioned last week, and then this weekend Bayern Munich, and then Union Berlin as well. And where it, uh, equally In Köln been... it happened, it oh, happened right. in Duisburg. It happened and the match is suspended in each case? Uh, some of them. Uh, the, the problem that we now have is that uh, the three-step that the German FA are following, which is modelled on the UEFA three-step protocol... Which is an anti-racism protocol. It's an anti-racism protocol. Now, the German FA have extended it sort of quietly to say, we also will react to hateful banners. Now, where does hate begin? Where does sort of freedom of expression end? This is one of the issues. And in one of those cases, um, the game was mistakenly suspended or interrupted by referee reacting to a banner that was not insulting. It was anti-hop, but it was there was no insults, there was no bad language. It was people making a point that people with lots of money, like hop, mm. seemed to be able to bend the rules, and uh, the game was suspended for that. So there's been a huge backlash and a, perhaps an overreaction as well to this. Right. So, I mean, you can take whatever position you want on the criticism that the Borussia Dortmund fans 
offer against Dietmar Hopp. But I, I think the issue here is is the extraordinarily heavy-handed reaction from the authorities to Dortmund fans, banning them for two years, all of them, from a, for attending a fixture because one guy got insulted. And the, the issue I think that a lot of people are having now is, and particularly because of the use of the anti-racist abuse protocol, is the way that they have been so swift and so absolute in their reaction to this, taking the players off the field in Hoffenheim, Bayern Munich, when other cases where of actual genuine racist abuse have, have, have seen, in one case actually, a player even carded for uh, reacting to uh, to abuse. Jordan Torinariga yeah. from uh, Hertha against Schalke. I mean, there's two things to be said about this. First of all, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it does smack of double standards, uh, prima facie. Um, if you want to defend the referee in those previous cases, you can say, well, it's easier for a referee to erect a banner, which is in black and white, and there is no dispute. You know, it's there, and you you know that what the message is, than to a player coming over to you and say, "Look, I've heard something," and maybe the referee hasn't, and it's much more difficult to react. That shouldn't excuse the inaction. I'm just saying it's a slightly different context. Mm. The issue with the racism, where it's not a double standard, is that those who want to clamp down on the ultras, on those insults, have been very quick to jump on this and compare it to racism and compare it to uh, the things that happened uh, in Hano and uh, when foreigners were killed recently and said this is all part of some kind of a, uh, a dark development that we don't want to see in the stadiums. Right. And that's when fans got very, very sensitive, and I think rightly so, because whatever you want to say about the language... This is a politically motivated protest. Maybe you shouldn't talk about referring to people as sons of whores and putting them in crosshairs is, is very obviously in, in bad taste. But to construe this as an active murder threat, as some people have said, mm. or to uh, equate that with, with racism, I think is, uh, is over the top, especially when most of these ultras are themselves... Uh, very vocal when it comes to anti-racism, fighting homophobia, fighting anti-Semitism in, in the stands. Right. So I think they feel very hard done by and they feel as if um, all these other things are being used to get them out of the stadium, mm. to clamp down on them and to right. make sure that they are no longer can protest. Bayern Munich's Red Fanatics uh, ultra group uh, released a very eloquent communique or statement explaining why they had taken the action they did uh, uh, at the weekend and in that they talk about the fact that Dietmar Hopp back in 2007 had actively called on the uh, on the Deutsche Football Board to uh, equate any abuse of him with racism which is extraordinary and the, the kind of the interesting angle on this is that his his software company has been for until recently the, the one of the sponsors of uh, German football German FA yeah which it's kind of an interesting position. Who's going to win, Rafa? What's going to happen next? So if the the, the ultras aren't backing down, uh, he's not backing down. What's going to happen? Well, it'd be very interesting to see what happens. In will this, the German uh, season finish? If, I think it will finish. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the midweek cup games because Schalke, for example, play Bayern on Tuesday night, and Schalke, as a club, have said we will not wait for the three-step protocol. The moment we will see these kind of banners we will make sure that the game will be abandoned. Wow. Which, in a way, is very principled, but begs the question if it's now one guy with an anti-hot banner who can basically just get games abandoned. Right. And there was someone making the, on Twitter the very pertinent point 
that, oh, the next time there's racism and you see nothing's happening, maybe you just have to hold up an anti-hop banner <laughs> and then the game will get suspended. Um, I think there's a danger of both sides backing themselves into a corner where they feel it's either or. You know, either you let us do whatever we want as far as the ultras are concerned or the um, the clubs and the league become hugely reactionary in trying to clamp down on absolutely everything. I think they have to come down from this uh, they have to sit down, understand what are the acceptable and unacceptable things that should be done, um, find some common ground and really lose some of the, the very unhelpful rhetoric because there have been some commentators and former players who have immediately come out with, with things like, oh, these are idiots, these are stupid uh, people, they're not real fans, they're just morons, we need to get them out of the stadiums, which doesn't really help when it comes to calming uh, temperaments and, and getting people to be a bit more cool-headed about these things. So we'll we'll see what happens. I, I still hope that, in a way, something positive come out of it because as clumsy and, and inelegant and, and counterproductive some of those protests would have been, I think people are more aware of the underlying motivation than they perhaps were before when perhaps they only saw somebody holding up a banner and didn't quite understand what was going on and found it very easy to dismiss it or to, to critique that. I think people are a little bit more ready now to understand what's really going on and not to just tar ultras with, with the same brush. But they didn't help themselves by using all the attention they had and really misusing some of that that capital if you will mm. by by making it easier for those who who want to see the back of them to dismiss them we'll see how that all turns out then in the pokal midweek in the meantime Bayern Munich not missing Lewandowski at least in this match and part of the reason for that was yet another teenage star who we'll be hearing about a little bit later on crikey next up activate the Julian Laurence we're off to Ligue 1 But uh, here we are in France. What's the big story, Jules? It's that Rouen derby between Lyon and Saint-Étienne on Sunday night, 120th in history. Mm-hmm. And Lyon won 2-0. They've only lost two of the last 21 at home against Saint-Étienne. So in fairness, it's... They kick ass. Pretty safe. They Oof. kicked ass. Nice. And they, in both ways as well, because on Saturday night, there was big fights in the uh, city oh. centre in Lyon, mm. where the two uh, group of ultras met uh, late at night and had a good five minutes of just mashing each other. Was it like the Spurs-Chelsea? Was that... (laughs) Was it like that? <laughs> <laughs> it was the same, but with, with actual proper proper fighting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, no, it was, I mean, it's not something that we should, you know, no, encourage no. all Imagine going to Leon and thinking, I'll have a fight, you know. I know, but when you've had 60 years of oh, I animosity and mm. really hate each other for many reasons. All then, right. But it means that Lyon go back to fifth place. Yes. Level with um, Monaco and Montpellier, but they, they're still fifth with six points behind fourth place Lille, who they travel to on, on Sunday and for Saint-Etienne and Claude Puel it's a really bad run of result they're fighting against relegation now they're only two points wow. clear yeah they're so it's really bad point, and remember when he, when he arrived yep. and he was the saviour and his first game was the reverse fixture in mm-hmm. the Rhone derby and he won that one a bit luckily but he won it and now this time it was completely different because Lyon could have easily won 4-5-0 they were that superior alright Paris Saint-Germain won they didn't have Neymar but they beat Dijon Fournil. How about Mbappé's Elastico? Wow, yeah, or the flip-flap. Well, okay, flip-flap yeah, both, like, yeah, Elastico yeah. more on, in Europe and flip-flap here. That flip-flap must sound great in French. Well, that's the... They probably well, we call it a flap-flip. A flap-flip? 
<laughs> and who the then flappy? finished as a petit pont as well, by the way. Yes. So the elastico. So first it was the flap flip and then the petit pont. Petit pont, oh, indeed. Right. And he was he's back back on, on great form. He scored petit two, pont, gave an way, assist. He's a nutmeg in French. Yeah. Yeah. Little bridge. Indeed. Yeah. Little bridge, yeah. yeah. And um and PSG were were really good in that game. Great. They, they could have scored more goals. And it was revealed this week that after the um the Dortmund game and the controversy with the big party that we mentioned last week in the show, Leonardo had a strong word with Tuchel as well to the dressing room where he got quite animated basically saying that the clubs have to be united and we, you just can't celebrate a birthday party like this two days after such a, a big defeat but it wasn't Tuchel's and, birthday party no it was Di Maria Cavani and Icardi's right yeah. and Tuchel was there with Leonardo voicing the, the fact oh the I see club. so I thought he was yeah. saying it to Tuchel like, no no no, no right. voicing that opinion that it didn't reflect well on the club and the club had to be united and the I'm players sure responded in a more yeah. united way actually than, than much we've seen this season so that was Brilliant. good on them. Okay. Only Lionel Messi has scored more goals than Mbappé by the way in Europe's top five leagues since the start of last season. Messi 54, Mbappé 51. Pretty impressive, yeah. And yeah. again, finding that form at the right time I think for this season, the end of the season and then the summer uh, with France. And by the way, it looks like mm-hmm. he could also play in the Olympics which was his objective and, and hope that he could do the Euros and the Olympics with all the logistics that that would involve and how hard it would be. Right. But it looks like he could, he could be allowed to do that, which would be an incredible um, thing to do for him. Do you know who wants to play the Olympics as well? Sergio Ramos. Oh. Yeah, at the age of 34. Nice. You're allowed, obviously, two players are allowed, above yeah. 23. I mean, Mbappé would still be in, in the right age group. But, that's yeah. a possibility to happen. Okay. His ambition is to be the first man sent off in the <laughs> <laughs> Olympic <laughs> final. Oh, dear. Well, loads more to come today. Up next, though, we're going to head across the Atlantic, actually, a little bit of a departure as we catch up with a brand new season of MLS. Bella still, and Bella goes for the chip, it scores! The master of all he surveys! Mm, this weekend, Hans Zimmer's stirring theme ushered in a new MLS season with new sides, Nashville and Beckham's Inter Miami, and new faces, Chicharito at the Galaxy and Thierry Henry coaching at Montreal Impact. Tell us what went down on the fields of MLS Sports Illustrated's Luis Miguel Echegaray. Luis, thank you so much for joining us. Jimbo, everybody, good to be back. Thanks for having me. Well, not at all, not at all. How can we not have you uh, when the MLS season is kicking off in such exciting fashion? Love that new theme tune. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? Hans Zimmer did a beautiful job. I just, I wanted some reggaeton at the end, but it's okay. I'll live with this. Right. I imagine they will be dropping various remixes as the season progresses. For now, it's kicked off with uh, uh, some exciting storylines. Tell us what stood out for you on the opening weekend. Yeah, it was a really good, exciting week one, I think, for MLS. Obviously, there was so much anticipation given the fact that this is the 25th season anniversary. Two new teams coming in with Nashville and Inter-Miami. And just the over-anticipation that, you know, this market is growing throughout the world. And I didn't think it disappointed. It was really good. I mean, from we have to begin with the obvious, which is LAFC um, and Carlos Vela. LAFC, to me, is the, the favorite for MLS Cup. Obviously, they, they didn't do enough 
in the playoffs last season, but I think they looked more revamped. They have more weapons. And Carlos Vela, who to me is clearly the, the best player in the league, scored a beautiful goal, a beautiful goal against uh, an, a resilient, uh, albeit imperfect, Inter-Miami to open the weekend. The other one for me is, um, I think Thierry Henry did a good job as well. Thierry Henry with Montreal, you know, we've We've been very hesitant about him as a manager, especially from his first stint uh, in Ligue 1. But it looks that Montreal finally is going to be something to be reckoned with. Exciting. What do you make of Inter Miami and their chances of, uh, of mixing it up with the big guys? I did a very big piece on Inter Miami uh, here at uh, Sports Illustrated. I interviewed David Beckham, Jorge Mas, Rodolfo Pizarro, supporters, Paul McDonough, the sporting director. Uh, you know, just to get an overall landscape of what this club is about. And, you know, the, the one thing that we have to remember is that Miami is a very difficult place to build anything, let alone a football club. So, you know, just the fact that they're here now is, is commendable. Listen, I think it's going to take time. Diego Alonso is a very good manager. He has a, a lot of experience. He's actually the first manager that ever won the CONCACAF Champions League with two different teams. Uh, with uh, Monterrey and Pachuca. He's uh, very smart. He just has to adapt to this league. And also, this squad is not full yet. Uh, you know, they're missing a lot of pieces. Uh, Rodolfo Pizarro, who came as a key DP from Mexico, is a very good addition. And I think he's actually the most uh, important Mexican transfer, even more than Chicharito, just because of where he is in his prime right now. But they still need a striker. Uh, they still need a few more keys, key pieces at the back, and they have to learn what it's like to play in this league. But listen, let's not forget, seven teams make the playoffs in each conference. If you don't make the playoffs, it's almost a mistake on your behalf. So it, never say never for them, I think. But I think they'll get better once they get more pieces in. All right. A home debut for the other new uh, franchise, Nashville, who drew 60,000 supporters to their game. Yeah, Nashville, obviously, uh, is the other one. Uh, that, again, offered a, a resilient, uh, albeit imperfect performance. They still have to get used to it. They obviously had a very difficult game against Atlanta United. But the bigger story there, uh, Jimbo, is the fact that, uh, very sadly, Joseph Martinez suffered a, a torn ACL, uh, meaning that you know he's pretty much done for the season. So Atlanta United has to find somebody to provide cover for their you know, key star number nine. And it's just very sad news for Atlanta United and the league because he's a very important player. And that, to me, is going to be kind of the biggest takeaway from from the season, from the weekend in terms of off-the-pitch situations. Who and what is going to happen now that Joseph Martinez is really not going to be uh, definitely for the regular season? Mm. You have LAFC as your favourite. So what do you think of the teams and the stories we should be keeping an eye on as the season progresses? Well, obviously, we have to talk about LA Galaxy, right? Escalotto, uh, you know, the former Boca Juniors manager, now has a, a pretty interesting squad. Uh, Chicharito, of course, being the biggest storyline, uh, you know, the greatest all-time Mexican scorer now in LA, uh, providing, you know, much-needed drama as well for the league now. When El Tráfico comes around, it's going to be amazing. But they're, they're an interesting side as well. Christian Pavon is another star for LA Galaxy that's going to provide uh, a lot of interest. He scored a tremendous goal against uh, Houston Dynamo this weekend. And the other one, uh, by the way, I think that we really should be paying a little bit more attention to is uh, Sporting Kansas City. I mean, they won 3-1 uh, 
against Vancouver, and everybody's talking about Chicharito. Everybody's talking about um, Carlos Vela. But there was another Mexican player that came to this to this league, and that's Alan Pulido, who you know did a lot in Liga MX, and he scored on his debut. So that's another team to watch, I think. But there are plenty of storylines from everywhere, specifically starting with my favorite, I think, LAFC, and to see what Bob Riley can do this season. All right. Luis, just finally then, a quarter of a century on, how would you say MLS is doing? Are they ahead of where they were expecting to be at this point in terms of their growth as a league? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think that's really relative to how the game is growing anyway here in, in, in the US, right? It's just one piece of many assets. Of course, the the Women's World Cup and the growth of actually not just the US men's national team, but the Mexican national team has created such an interest in this country. The Premier League is watched every single week and Bundesliga is a big market. So MLS is part of that. Now, it's it's growing. It's absolutely growing. You can't deny that. It's it's being sold to more countries than ever. Uh, more young people are playing the game. More people are going to the stadiums. Obviously, we talked a lot about how you know Mercedes-Benz Stadiums at Atlanta United can you know can give you as much as seventy thousand people watching. Bank of California Stadium provides such tremendous atmosphere. But they, in terms of competitiveness, you know. They're getting there, but they're still not better than Liga MX, which I think is is still the dominant league here uh, in North and Central America. But it's getting there. And Liga MX knows this, knows that MLS is getting to a point where at some point MLS will grow. And it would not be a shocking statement to say that in the next 10 years, MLS could surpass baseball because of the overall growth and popularity in the sport. Chaka in position de trazo para Gignac, la pidió! ¡Golazo! ¡Golazo! ¡Gol! Luis mentioned Liga MX there, and uh, I don't know if you saw that amazing goal from André Pierre Gignac. Yes, with Tigres. Yes. Big Mac. Big Mac, a Big Mac for Gignac. Mm. What a way... For a stadium to celebrate one of its players scoring a goal because fireworks yeah. just go boom. It's so good. I mean, he's been there f- almost five time. years now. Yeah. yeah, And it's funny how you sometimes you he was not that keen, I think, on going in the first place and mm. leaving Europe and European football. And then you fall in love with the place and you become a, literally a cult hero because he's got babies named Gignac as a first name. So like Gignac Sanchez or Gignac Herrera, whatever, <laughs> which I think, is, I mean, you know, it's pretty impressive, really. It's That's the impact something. he's had there. To be he fair. didn't call yeah. his own son Gignac, though. No. That'd no, it's weird. not like a Neville Neville type Gignac, of name. Gignac. In La Liga, Alvaro. What's this? Atletico slipping back to fifth place and Getafe back into the Champions League places after Diego Pablo Simeone's team drew 1-1 at Espanyol. And Getafe won at Mallorca. What a week for Getafe. <laughs> Excellent week for Getafe, of course. Uh, they managed to qualify in the Europa League and they'll be playing against Inter in the next they round of the qualify. competition. They managed to knock out Ajax. Wow. If Inter can fit them in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, remarkable scenes, though. The uh, I mean, controversial as well. There were lots of people saying, well, yeah, Hatafi go through, but they don't do it the way they should do it. Amongst the people saying that, of course, Ajax themselves. And Frankie de Jong as well, mm. uh, who said in the past that he doesn't like uh, Hatafi's style. But, uh, you know, Bordalas used that criticism as an engine, in a way, to motivate his players. And uh, he put a few pictures of Frankie de Jong um, in Getafe's away um, locker room mm. at the uh, Johan Cruyff Arena. Uh, 
just to motivate his players ahead of the game against Ajax. And Getafe didn't win that game, but of course they managed to qualify for the next uh, round. This weekend, Getafe won again, which is um, keeping them uh, still in the Champions League uh, spots. And that will be a tremendous achievement for Getafe to qualify for Champions League because they've never done it. Uh, what do you think their chances are against Inter, James? Getafe? Yeah. What an ugly game this is going to be. Wow. Well, style-wise, I think it's... Getafe is more defensive. Yeah, it's less of a contrast, I would say, though, yeah. than between Getafe and Ajax. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, it was, it's been quite interesting listening to uh, Papu Gomez, the, the Atalanta winger, midfielder, 10, whatever, because he can do everything. Um, he spoke to El Pais just before the Valencia game, and he said, Inter have no identity. They just have one trick. You know, they play, they play to the wing-back, who plays it inside to a centre-forward. That centre-forward then lays it off to the second striker, and that's it. And we just basically, you know, we had our two of us, three centre-backs, marked those two strikers, had a spare man. And, uh, yeah, we found it quite straightforward, actually. So, um, yeah, I think Conte does work on, on variation and that sort of thing. But you certainly know what you're getting uh, from an Inter side. Now, Inter didn't play this weekend, obvious. But Lazio did. Let's hear about that next. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Lazio top at this stage of the season for the first time since they won the title 20 years ago. This after their 2-0 win at the weekend over... Bologna, they're now 21 league games unbeaten. Yeah. Simone Inzaghi's side. He, of course, featured in that side 20 years ago. He did. And they just keep on keeping on, James. Wow. Even without Francesco Cerbi, who's mm. their best defender, Italy international, who's been playing alongside uh, Leonardo Bonucci in that record streak that Italy had in qualifying for the Euros, that might never happen. <laughs> um, and they have <laughs> fulfilled their fixtures. At the moment, they've you know, played a game more than Juventus, played two games more than Inter. And uh, as Jules was kind of alluding to earlier, uh, there is a sense that um, the league table is, is not becoming meaningless, but it's becoming certainly distorted by um, the number of teams who've played more or less games than one another. Um, because we might get to May and not really have a good idea of how close the title race is or how close the relegation battle is. Um, but Lazio, you've got to take your hat off to them because they keep finding ways um, to win. They, If you look on paper at their squad, it doesn't really leap off the page and impress you, but the amount of performances they've got from unglamorous players, smaller names, um, who either come in and set up goals or score goals, um, just keeps adding to this sense that maybe the stars are aligning for this team because, James, you mentioned that unbeaten run. They've got Immobile, who's top scorer. Luis Alberto right. leads the assist charts. Right. Um, and at the moment, Inter might have to play nine games in May. Their last three, if the Derby d'Italia doesn't get rescheduled for an earlier date, will be Juventus, Atalanta and Napoli. Mm. That's a hell of a, a, a of a gauntlet. Right. Juventus um, have at least five games. If they go deep in the Champions League and reach the Coppa Italia final, they'll have another couple of more on that. That's not involved in any cup competitions and just will have four games four. in May. Four so, games in May. The last two are Brescia and 
pressure. By the way, just while you're thinking about that, one of the uh, options I think they're considering this Wednesday at that extraordinary meeting is to actually just shift the calendar one week down. So just basically play the six games that were held back from this weekend next weekend and then everybody just shifts one week down. But I, I guess we'll find out on Wednesday what is decided there. I mean, Roberto Mancini must be thrilled um, because he's got a European Championships to plan. They have a friendly with San Marino, I think, 1st of June, Mm. uh, which is a few days after the end of the season. (laughs) So, yeah, everything is up in the air. Right. Uh, Lazio next uh, weekend, next Saturday, are scheduled to go and visit Atalanta. Ooh, that's huge. Well, it's huge. It's it's stoked controversy as well because Atalanta wanted this to be played on a Friday night because um, the team that has tended to play first in the Champions League from a league has had that option available to them. Right. And Claudio Lotito, the Lazio owner, basically said, no, we're not going to allow that to happen. Um, so these two teams have already developed quite uh, a rivalry and some bad blood from, for example, the Coppa Italia final um, last year, which uh, Lazio won and Gasparini criticised and complained after the game. And ever since then, um, this has always been simmering away. So, yeah, certainly doesn't feel that um, those relationships have thawed in the, in the meantime. Can we talk the Milan Civil War, please? <laughs> Can we just mention Atalanta beating Lecce seven oh, yes. goals to two this weekend? And, and the Milan wow. Civil War. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, uh, I mentioned it. I mean, they're incredible. Well, how many goals have they scored in 20? 70 in 25 games. Wow. So okay. they're averaging nearly three goals a game. Right. The PSG and Bayern Munich have scored more this year. You have to right. go back to the 1950s to find a team that had as many goals at this stage of the season. They've scored seven against three different City Arab opponents this season. Crazy. Um, which is remarkable. And some of the goals, James, did you see Ilicic's? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean... And Gasparini at the end, this talking is... about Ilicic and saying, yeah, he's lazy, <laughs> and yeah, he's moody sometimes, and he looks like he's not happy to be here. But, you know, he loves his team and he loves his club. And we just had to make sure that he trained more consistently. That's the difference between the Ilicic now and the one at Fiorentina who was very inconsistent. But and when he Palermo plays like that, as well. but it's, it's just incredible. It is richly satisfying to see a player like that yeah, who's always teased you throughout his career. Finally, just come Deliver. out week after week, do it. Rafa, the civil war of the Rossoneri. Yeah, I'm really interested in that. Uh, <laughs> I know that you have good contacts in Milan, James. Uh, wh- what's going on there? Well, the club is not on the same page in terms of you have a chief executive there, Ivan Gazidis, who was appointed from Arsenal um, just over a year ago. And you have uh, Paolo Maldini and Zvonimir Boban who are there and were appointed to run the sporting side of the business. So they are sporting director, technical director in all but name. And uh, these reports have been leaking out over the last, what, three or four months now that uh, Milan have an interest, um, have even made contact with Ralph Raniuk about becoming not only coach next season, but sporting director as well, um, which clearly steps on the toes of Svonimir Boban and Paolo Maldini. Um, I think what's been remarkable about the last week is um, a week ago, Gazidis gave an interview to Gazeta della Sport because I think at Milan, they felt they needed to intervene and put a stop to um, these reports that there was a division and he said we're all on the same page and a week later Svonimir Boban comes out gives an interview (laughs) in Gazeta and says well Paolo and I pretty pissed off that uh, 
no one told us that um, someone had been in touch with Ralph Raniak um, about the prospect of becoming coach. And now it looks it looks very difficult for them to come together again and reconcile. Um, so it's a very difficult situation um, for for Milan because I think it looks now likely that Zvonimir and uh, Paolo will leave um, at the end of the season unless um, they can really build bridges. And also the current coach, Stefano Pioli. Results have improved at Milan. Performances mm-hmm. have improved at Milan. But which would Ranić be? Would he be a director of football or would he come a, come in place both. of Pioli? He can't be both, both. surely. Yeah. Or school, yeah. Really? Time is marching on. So let's uh, whistle through one or two of the other big stories from uh, France and Germany next. Jules, Benyeda's on fire. But how about that goal from uh, Unas in yeah, the board? Unas. Yeah, on his return to Bordeaux, great uh, wow. kind of scissor kick of a head kick to make it one-one. Mm-hmm. Um, I would give you the updates on Toulouse, maybe the uh, the worst losing team. Oh yeah, cool. yeah. So right. they've obviously lost sixteen of the last seventeen games. The other one was a draw. Yes. They only have 13 points right now, and the record in France for the whole season is 17. So the big question is, are they going to beat the worst record ever yes. of Lens in, at the end of the, the 80s? Right. They have 11 games to, to still have at least four points, so they could do it, but they're so bad. Like Did they lose this weekend? They lost this weekend, yeah, right. okay. to, to Rennes pretty comprehensively. So the whole question is, like, are they be the worst ever? Okay. So I think a lot of people would... I mean, when you, when you are called to lose... Quite funny. <laughs> it certainly is. And the it's, other one, oh, quickly, yeah. sorry, maybe no. one of the most interesting transfers mm-hmm. is uh, the Amiens midfielder Eddie Gnaore, who oh, just yeah. signed for Wuhan. He's gone to Wuhan in China. Wow, that's a bold yeah. Move. He was he came yeah. through Inter. I'm not sure bold is the right word to describe that move to okay, well. the coronavirus uh, epicenter, but okay. they've offered him five five times the current wages. So right. I guess that would help to convince you. And then they promised him that whenever he set a foot there, yes. there will be no virus, just nothing. So, yeah, that I was going to say. Presumably, he's not going right now. It's for next season. So, really, we don't know when the, the Chinese Super League is going to start. Right. There, there's no date yet, uh-huh. obviously. Uh, but we know that in April, the Asian Champions League starts. Right. Um, so, he, he's not really sure when he's going to go and start training with his new team. But I still think that making the choice of you know going to Wuhan is, is pretty... Brave. Yeah, and the ability to attract players despite is impressive. Daniel Carrizo, defender from Sevilla, really? has also signed from Wuhan. Really? Yeah, uh, somewhere in the last two weeks. I cannot exactly tell you when, but it was at the end of January, I believe. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, well good luck. Possibly, you know, if you if you, I, I don't know the mechanics of a pandemic, but it's possible that the place where the it's it's going to become the (laughs) safest because (laughs) I don't know I don't know in Germany one of the big talking points before the weekend Rafa was the Bundesliga's incredible record in Europe uh, on the goal show Europa League goal show last week we were saying about how Bundesliga size again like look at his face look at his smile every single knockout game they've played this season they've won in both Europa League and Champions League except that then the next day Eintracht Frankfurt in this game at Salzburg that was held over ended up drawing 2-2 yep. and ruining the whole record mm. however you know still not bad they eh? were put off by the delay of the storm and everything I, I wouldn't really hold but that against it's, them it's pretty special though isn't it so that's five teams out of six basically have won so that's basically 12 games and they've won 11 of them and the other one got drawn 
it's probably worth rem- remarking that everyone knows what the UEFA coefficient is. Mm. Uh, the five leagues that we cover in the Totally Football Show are topping the first five places in the UEFA coefficients. Then you got you have Portugal, Russia, the Netherlands, and Belgium, six, seven, eight, and nine. Right. They don't have any representatives in Champions League or Europa League. Those leagues. Right. All which is pretty impressive or pretty strange because it tells you that football is so polarized now that right. the five big leagues, they've got representatives all around in Europa League yeah. and Champions League. And then um, whatever happens from the sixth downwards, teams like Porto, Benfica, Ajax, PSV, and all those, they struggle to have a, a successful era of three, right. two, four years in which they can keep the players and actually fight for something. Yeah, no, it's a very good point, Alvaro. And even further down, I, I believe I'm right in saying that what happened to Celtic against Copenhagen <laughs> uh, has had a pretty, or potentially is going to have a really dramatic impact on Definitely. Scotland. So. Yeah, and on Copenhagen. still in it. Rangers can still save the coefficient. We shall see. Rangers are going to be taking on Bayer, Bayer Leverkusen, aren't they? Yeah, Bayer Leverkusen, who've uh, been in good form since the winter break. Up until Sunday, they had won... Every game but one. Right. Uh, of course, they they drew. But they drew away at, at, at Leipzig, which is a good result. Yeah. Um, perhaps they could have done even better. It was a strange game, fairly lethargic from both sides. They couldn't quite get into it. Uh, yet the latest big game for Leipzig, which they couldn't win, but of right. course also they didn't get beat. But the real beneficiaries are, are of course, Bayern and Dortmund to a certain extent, who um, kept uh, distance with Bayern uh, with their win. A nervy 1-0 win over Freiburg. But uh, four points not seen as insurmountable because Dortmund still, of course, have Bayern to come to them in the first weekend of April. So it should be a pretty interesting uh, title race. The problem, I think, right now is that Bayern have, have raised themselves to a level that is not just beyond the rest of the league, but actually might be some of the best in Europe. I mean, they're playing, as you saw, against Chelsea. Um, as you saw against Hoffenheim, of course, not quite the same opposition. They're playing more or less at the maximum of their ability, which is considerable. So it's going to be very, very hard at this point for anyone to stop them. All right. And Robert Lewandowski's absence was considered perhaps a hazard to their title chances. And it could However, still be. Uh, this weekend, Bayern Munich teenager Joshua Zerkzy, is that Zerk- Zerkzy. Zerkzy. Uh, who stepped in and scored in the 6-0 win. He's now got three goals in 26 minutes for Bayern Munich across three games. Wow, the only Erling Holland looks wait, slow, no? Yeah. yeah. That's the only player with a better goals-to-minute to yeah. ratio. I mean, that was his first start, and of course he only started because Lewandowski was not available. But it was a bit of a surprise. Most people thought Hansi Flick would put Serge Gnabry as a centre-forward. He's right. played there through the middle. But I think Flick has realised that he needs to manage the squad because there's going to be a lot of games before Lewandowski comes back and for, for Gnabry to play every single game especially through the middle is going to be probably too difficult but it's also opened up a possibility now for Philippe Coutinho to really you know help his case and mm. uh, and maybe convince Bayern to, to buy him after all and it was very very telling that when he scored two goals uh, with the help of a, a deflection or two that a lot of the players sort of made a big point of coming over and congratulating him. I think there was a, um, a recognition that he's quite a sensitive character and has struggled to perform and has found it very difficult to, not to integrate, because I think they, they like him as a person, but to integrate as a footballer on the pitch. Um, he's kind of felt a little bit alien at times. And this was one of his better games and uh, a real opportunity for him to show that he can be a factor. 
All right, super. Next weekend, by the way, Borussia Mönchengladbach against Borussia Dortmund. So that should be, be very interesting on and off the pitch. Oh, Borussia yeah. Mönchengladbach won away to, to Augsburg to keep going. They still have a game in hand mm. because of uh, the storm, Zabine. So they, they are still in it as far as fourth place is concerned, but I don't think it's that probable that they will still be a factor in the title races in itself. Okay, Rafa. In a moment or two, we will be dipping into our bulging sack of mail and drawing out some questions for you guys. Right now, though, time for Paddy Power. Muchas gracias, Jimbo. Here we go, listeners. Lee Price is on the line from Paddy Power to talk about the Euro odds. Lee, let's start with La Liga, where Real Madrid won El Clasico. They've gone back to the top of La Liga. Are they going to stay there? Yeah, insert your ZZ top jokes here. Real Madrid, top of La Liga again. Surprising given the chaos barely 12 months ago. But they are now odds-on to finish as champions, 8-13. to 13. Barcelona and Fairs are taking the mantle of carnage with their managerial changes and over-reliance on one player. They're 11-10 to 10 to win the league title. No other team in contention, that won't surprise you. We do offer a market though called a tri-cast, where you can predict who finished first, second and third. The shortest price option there is Real first, Barca second and Atleti third. That's priced at 13 to 5. Next up over to France, Kylian Mbappe proving once again that he is very, very good at football. So where is he going to end up when he does inevitably leave PSG? Yeah, the guy's an absolute monster. He scored more than 100 career goals. He's only just turned 21. I dread to think what I could possibly cite as an example of what I was doing at 21, not scoring 100 goals, let's put it that way. As for the next club, we actually think he'll stay this summer, incredible as that is to say, but he's obviously been linked to Real Madrid over and over again. It does seem like an inevitable move, and if he does leave PSG, they are the favourites to sign him at 7-2. to two. Man City second favourites at 12-1, Liverpool 14-1, to one, Barcelona 33-1, to one. but the length of those prices is indicative that we think he'll stay for one more year in Paris. And finally, we've been talking about MLS in the show this week. Who is the favourite to win the MLS Cup? Okay, hands up. I'm not an avid follower of MLS. Uh, So I had to do my research when I talk about this. Um, And I think I would obviously start with the reigning champions, so Seattle Sounders. They're 7-1 second favourites in our betting. Not a bad place to start. The runners-up last year were Toronto FC. They're 12-1 and fifth in the betting. Our favourites, though, are LAFC, who won the Western Conference by a landslide last season. 16 points clear eventual champion Seattle. That's some Liverpool-style domination right there. They're 3-1 favourites ahead of Seattle, with the top two from last season's Eastern Conference, New York City and Atlanta United, joint third in the betting, priced at 8-1. And of course, an obligatory mention for David Beckham's team, Inter Miami are 100-1 rank outsiders. We think they'll be pants this season, which is appropriate given their owner's modelling career. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time. Recording it's over 18's only terms and conditions apply and when the fun stops, stop. Uh, Matthias Williams says, Why do the world's best managers flock to England but not the players? Only two sitting Ballon d'Or winners, Cristiano Ronaldo and Michael Owen, from English clubs since the 60s. You think of a reason? Would you think that's fair that managers come but players don't? But having the Ballon d'Or, it doesn't mean that you've got the best players all the time. I mean, maybe Premier League didn't have the Ballon d'Or for years, but they, mm. they have uh, terrific players now. I don't know. Right. I don't think that's fair. I think it might be the other way around, that um, going to Real Madrid and Barcelona helps your chances of winning the Ballon d'Or. Okay. Maybe it's just the last 11 years, it was just two guys 
who won the Ballon d'Or and it was just hard for anyone else to um, to actually win it. With the Euros happening, our AFC patch, is the Spain squad going to have the least amount of Barcelona-Real Madrid players since pre-Aragonés and beyond? Not many of them are performing at a level better than Spanish players outside that duopoly. Well, that is still to be seen uh, because we don't know what Luis Enrique's preferred players are. Uh, he's been out for a year. But what I can tell you is that Barcelona and Real Madrid don't always bring uh, plenty, plenty of players to the Spanish squad. In fact, uh, when Vicente del Bosque took charge in 2008, it was um, Liverpool, the team that uh, sent more players to the Spanish national team. Mike Nicolaides says, who would Jules rather have as the next Paris Saint-Germain coach, Conte, Sarri or Allegri? Conte, Sarri or Allegri? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. I think I'll go for Allegri. Yeah, I thought you might. But you're not yeah. very excited about any of those three, are you? No, not really. You want to stick with Tuchel. club. Yeah, that's probably. Why. Or maybe because Sarri can't manage outside Empoli and Napoli. Conte is already in charge and the whole place would explode. And I think Allegri, yeah, I like. Uh, no, I would like the idea of Allegri. I would welcome Max. All right. That red-haired dude says, what has gone so drastically wrong at Espanyol for them to have finished seventh last season and qualify for Europa League to now be rock bottom of La Liga? The new manager didn't work and now they are trying to catch up with the lost time with Abelardo. And I think that they are on time to do that. They couldn't score goals at the beginning of the season, but they have signed Raul de Tomás from Benfica and he's scoring goals now. So I believe that perhaps they didn't have a squad ready to play in two three competitions simultaneously. Now that they are out of the Spanish Cup and the Europa League, I believe that they are going to give a good fight um, in the avoidance of relegation. All right, five points, uh, the uh, distance between them and staying up. Brilliant. Alvaro, thank you very much for that and thanks for all your questions. We'll be back next Tuesday with another Euro Roundup. Do hope you'll uh, be making that part of uh, next week's listening. Uh, For now, though, that's it. Many thanks, Julianne, James, Raphael and Alvaro and you, listener, Catch us again on Thursday with the regular Totally Football Show. For now, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. listeners i'm caroline barker host of the totally football league show i'm joined each week by sam parkin say hello sam hi caroline by adrian clark say hello adrian hello and the bolton wanderers fan too not adrian but joe critty looking forward to league two yes <laughs> each week we go head first into the efl to bring you the latest from the pitches to the next crisis to whatever ian holloway has said now from leeds to luton sunderland to plymouth swindon to stevenage and everything in between If it's the EFL you want, we've got you covered. Haven't we, Ollie? Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. (laughs) Your guess is as good as ours. That's the Totally Football League show out every Wednesday. In the most delightful way. It's brilliant. I just love it. Muddy News Media.